0: Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages.
1: We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside.
0: Basically, we're just here to talk about books.
1: We're so glad you're joining us.
0: This interview with Renee Watson originally aired in June 2019 and we spoke to her about her middle grade novel What Mama Left Me and the young adult novel she co-wrote with Ellen Hagan, Watch Us Rise. We spoke about cancel culture, teen activism and representing black women and girls on book covers among plenty of other things.
1: More recently, Renee published Ways to Make Sunshine in April 2020, and in the last few months, her award-winning novel Piecing Me Together has been on the New York Times bestseller list for five consecutive weeks.
0: We hope you enjoy this chat.
1: We both really, really loved Watch Us Rise. Oh, it was amazing. I don't know about Michelle. I think you read it quite quickly, but I actually read it um, on a road trip. So I read it literally in one sitting Mm. in five hours in the car.
2: Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness.
0: (laughs) I did that with What Mama Left Me and was, like, getting really emotional. (laughs) (laughs) I was not prepared to feel like so sad and yeah that was that was a real sucker punch of a book
2: (laughs) oh yeah they were they're both very different but yeah they do have some similar things I guess dealing with grief and
0: Last and trying to find your
2: way. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So we're very pleased. Well, Caitlin read that too on her holiday mm-hmm. as well. So we both kind of read them one after the other and it was mm-hmm. it was really good experience actually. But we would love to talk to you a bit in depth about Watch Us Rise because that's the book that people are probably seeing a lot of at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um and they're they're probably seeing it. There's two really striking covers. There's a yellow cover and a pink cover, and I love them both. Seen a lot of them <laughs> on Instagram lately. Mm-hmm um so that was written with your friend Ellen Hagan yes. and for those who don't know it's about two teenage girls they start their own women's rights club and like Caitlin said like we think it's wonderful it's brilliant for young girls I mm-hmm. wish that we had had these books when we were growing up oh, I know. Right? <laughs> why did you two want to write this book
2: you know I think it's kind of what you just said we wish that we had Uh, a book like this and and not just like our book but that we had um art to look to that would get us talking about these issues a lot of the adults in our lives didn't necessarily explicitly talk about the intersections of race class and gender or what it meant to be a feminist when we were in high school so it was a way for us to kind of do the thing that we wish we had and also to create something that um celebrated all the young women that we work with that are amazing, um, really smart, talented girls who have a lot to say about what's happening. Ellen and I are good friends in our personal life. We met because we taught together working at um, an organization called Dream Yard and Community Word Project, which teaches poetry to young people. And we had this cohort that we would do poetry, poetry workshops with. So the book is loosely kind of inspired by these girls that we met who were writing poems and thinking about the world, responding to what was happening in the news in these really powerful ways. We just wanted to write a book that honored their stories um, and that, you know, got people talking hopefully about issues that are, we think, important to girls.
1: That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I think. We both would consider
0: ourselves quite feminist and quite, um, I guess, what's the word like I don't know. we're quite across social issues we like to read across a lot of things we like to keep up with a lot of things mm-hmm. but I still learnt a couple of new things in that that which is always a pleasure when you learn something from a book and we totally acknowledge we have lots more to learn yes. but yeah but it was really yeah, it was yeah absolutely. that it wasn't it wasn't just um I guess the surface level stuff that's always talked about there was a mm. lot there was a lot in there and um I guess people always slam the younger generation for, you know, being entitled or
1: being right. too obsessed
0: with technology. But I mean, the, the fact that you base this on girls that you know too, is just so encouraging and yeah. anyone who doubts the future should read that.
2: Yeah. Ellen and I have been on tour for a, a while now, um, since February. So for about three months and we've met so many young people who relate to jasmine and chelsea and who are starting clubs at their school and this is before they've even read the book like they were already doing this work and so yeah it it is fascinating to me kind of the stereotypes and assumptions we can make about young people and then when i go to these author visits i meet people who are you know super motivated and and willing and open to be vulnerable and to talk about hard issues and to love each other and really be accepting in ways that I don't know what's happening when I was a kid. I mean, I do know the bullying is a thing and that there is, you know, there's a lot of work that young people need to do. But I am very encouraged uh, just by being on book tour and seeing people from all over the world um, responding to what's happening in their world through art. And it's been really special and powerful to witness that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's just wonderful. It's one of those things, you know, like, Yes, we, you know, people think all oh, these young people are doing nothing or they're just,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: maybe not as well educated or anything as adults supposedly are. But the second you start talking to someone, you realise that's completely wrong. So, yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> Was there any challenges for you guys working together? Like, how did you actually go putting this story together with these two characters?
2: You know, it's so interesting. This has really been one of the best writing experiences I've ever had. Uh, Writing is such a solitary thing. So to be in it with a partner was uh, refreshing for me and very new, and I loved it. So Ellen and I would meet um, at her apartment in New York City, and we spent the first maybe 30 minutes talking, checking in with each other, what's going on in your life, how are you, what are you watching? What are you reading? What are you caring about right now? Just so that we could kind of uh, warm up a little bit to each other and think about the current issues that were on our minds or what we were witnessing and seeing. And then we'd plot a little bit. We had like post-it notes that we would make on her table. We'd spread them out and write like the big idea of each chapter and kind of, you know, with post-it notes, you can move them around. And so we would Puzzle it all out and make a plot line and then write. I would write Jasmine's character, um, her chapters, and she was Chelsea. We'd set a timer and we'd write for a little while. And then when the timer went off, we'd share uh, the chapters with each other and get immediate feedback and really kind of help each other shape the chapters. And, you know, I'd say, oh, well, if that happens with Chelsea, okay, then I'm going to make sure that in my next chapter, Jasmine does this, and we would, you know, keep adding on that way. And we literally wrote the whole book um, and including some of the revisions too. So yeah, it was great. It was a really beautiful experience. The challenge was more about the manuscript and not how we worked together. I think because we've been friends for like 13 or more years, so we were fine, but there were <laughs> in the actual, um, the book itself that just had some flaws in the beginning that we really needed to work through and figure out what is the story and how do we want to tell it? Um, So, you know, the real writing happens in revision, like we always say as writers. And so it took us a couple of drafts to get it to the point where we felt, you know, that it was a publication.
1: sounds like a really productive process though, like with the timer and you share and get immediate feedback and everything. That sounds really useful and productive.
2: (laughs) It was. And you know, like it, it was new for me because I don't always get immediate feedback, so it was great to have someone in it with me and and to work out those plot points that were like, oh, I don't I don't know how to fix this, you know, and then we could talk about it and work on it together. So that was really nice to have a writing partner. Yeah. So we're working on separate projects now, but we're still creating time to just write together in the same room just to kind of keep each other accountable. I think we really liked that process of meeting and the ritual of writing and sharing work so we've we've still been doing that even though we're not working on a book together anymore well
1: perfect will we get to see more of jasmine and chelsea in the future
2: (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i you know we'll see if not i think you will see more from the two of us working together so but i'm not sure if it will be following those characters but we do hope to do more work together for sure
1: Okay, I can live with that. <laughs> yeah,
0: look, you guys, you guys make a very good team, so oh, that's, that's cool. okay. <laughs> so one of the really interesting things about, um, about Watch Us Rise, and also I noticed about some of your own work as well, is the way that you kind of weave poetry into how you tell the story. Mm-hmm. And I think poetry is something which can be fairly intimidating for a lot of people. There's a lot of high school flashbacks of, studying Shakespeare and things like mm-hmm. that, for those who enjoyed Watch Us Rise and enjoyed that poetry, especially around social issues and stuff, have you got any recommendations for people who are a bit scared to kind of dive into poetry as a thing that they read? <laughs> sure. I, well, let me
2: first say, you know, I, I totally understand that. And I think had I not had teachers who made poetry accessible And relevant to me, I don't know that I would like it either, you know, it's finding something that's really going to resonate with the young person. And so, yes, I had to learn Shakespeare, but I was also reading Maya Angelou and Lucille Clifton and Langston Hughes and all of these African American poets who... We're speaking in a way that um, my my parents talked or, you know, the people in my neighborhood spoke and about issues that mattered to me. And so I think finding poems that are relevant and that are talking about current issues is one way to get young people a little more excited about about reading and writing their own poetry. But that said, some of my favorite writers who are kind of merging writing like novels and verse or including poems in their novels would be Jacqueline Woodson um, with Brown Girl Dreaming. That's like one of my favorite books. And it's all told through verse. Um, I love the work of Nikki Grimes and, and her book One Last Word is a beautiful book. And some of the classic poems with, of the Harlem Renaissance with her own writing in contemporary present day. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, and Elizabeth Acevedo, um, The Poet X, is also a great book that has poetry in it as well.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. I'm, I'm yeah. definitely going to be adding some more poetry. I, I've only really read Kate Tempest and I really, really love Told Your Own um, and love the way that kind of retold the Greek myth and stuff. So I'm keen to yeah. sort of get more, but it is hard to find people that, yeah, sort of yeah. more accessible.
1: Where to start. Yeah,
0: yeah because yeah. like you said, like if you don't have teachers or people who introduce that to you, it's, it's very, very hard.
2: Ellen and I in the back of the book, we listed all the poets that inspire us. We wrote a list of the of women poets who move us, who we teach in the classroom, um, who we look to for inspiration. So there's also that in the back of the book. Um, if young people or educators are like, where do we go now? You could like look up some of those poets. Um, and maybe find a few that you love.
0: Absolutely. I think this book is very schools friendly as well and very teacher friendly. And I hope that some teachers bring it into their classrooms, especially in Australia. Like I think it would translate well and there's still a lot of issues that could be discussed. One of the other really interesting things for me in Watch Us Rise was that even though Chelsea and Jasmine are very very good friends they do go through some difficult patches in their friendship and it was really good to see them educate each other mm-hmm. and work through their issues rather than just sort of not speaking to each other or getting really angry um, and I think they, they sort of do the same with people who are rude to them or or a girl in particular who's bullying them they sort of take that and educate her um so with this in mind I'm really interested to know how you feel about this rise of like what people are terming cancel culture um Mm -hmm. so the idea of like boycotting people who might unintentionally do the wrong thing um so obviously not people who intentionally go out and you know say vile things but if people are doing it from a place of miseducation should we educate them or should we just boycott like how do you feel about that I think it's complicated I think that it depends right
2: on the circumstance but in general I really do feel like We should offer grace to people and forgiveness and think about, you know, intent and impact. And so I I do think that a lot of times people have good intention and they're not meaning to be offensive. They're not aware of what they're doing, what they're saying and why it's impacting people in in this hurtful way. And so, yeah, I think there is a time where you can say, look, this hurts me. This is um, based off of a stereotype or this is, you know offensive i think it's totally fine to say and to give that person a chance to make that wrong or right by either apologizing or you know fixing the work if, the, if it's something that they created that was offensive uh and i do think though that there there does come a time where you're like okay so we've had this conversation a few times and <laughs> clearly you don't want to change or you're not getting it and so i you know need to move on and maybe we're not friends or maybe um i'm not going to buy your music or you know participate in your art form or whatever the situation is so i i'm kind of in both camps in that i do think we need to talk it out and think about like you can't just cancel everybody or you're not going to be talking to anyone because people are going to offend you you know even people you love and you're going to Mm. also offend people like i'm not perfect and no one is and so i'm always thinking that well how would i want to be treated like if i said something super offensive and really hurt someone, what would I want them to do for me? That's such a basic thing, right? Do unto others as we want them to do unto us. And so um, I think about that a lot, that one day it could be me, that we're all kind of on our growing edge. It just depends on the subject matter. There's certain things I'm very uh, knowledgeable about. And then there's other areas where I'm, I'm learning. And so I think I'll fumble and make mistakes and I hope that people are patient with me. But I do think there comes a time where that patience runs out, right? And you're just like, okay, so clearly you don't care. And you don't, you're not thinking about your impact. Um, and when it gets to that point, then yes, I do think there's a time to walk away from a person um, and say, this is toxic and this is not healthy for me. So I'm not going to, you know, engage anymore. So I think it just depends. But, um I lean more into grace than I do into cutting people out. Yeah, I
1: think that's the best way to put it. I think that's a really, really nice approach to just, you know, like you said, remember to be, you know, just a bit kind. And and compassionate. And and compassionate and try and understand, you know, where that's coming from because most of the time people don't realize what they're saying.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I agree. In the book, you know, thinking about one of the reasons – why we included that theme where Chelsea mm-hmm. really hurts Jasmine's feelings and does something that's so it's it's seemingly small like she you know it's okay to say what she doesn't order a size that Jasmine can fit they're doing this whole social action and she's ordering shirts that everyone can wear but she doesn't think about her friend who is visibly fat plus size girl you know a big girl mm. and so jasmine is just like how in the world are we best friends that we've known each other for so long and you didn't think about me um so they have to work through that and we thought it was important that the girls even though they are budding activists and feminists and they're finding their way they get it wrong sometimes and they make mistakes and they kind of have blind spots for certain things and i just think that that's normal that's very human that you know, you can be so um aware about race and maybe and not about gender or whatever the thing is. And so I think we just wanted to show that it's okay to be flawed, but you gotta own that and work on it and how do you move forward? Um, and that you don't have to wait to take action just because you're not perfect, right? So we if we keep yeah. saying, Well, I don't know everything, so I'm not gonna say anything. That's not helpful. So you know, yeah. we have to be okay with making mistakes so that yeah. we can raise our voices instead of just standing on the sidelines because we're too afraid that we may offend someone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think just from a relationship point of view as well, it's nice to see friends like it's nice to acknowledge that just because you're friends doesn't mean you will always agree on everything and that that doesn't have to be the end of your friendship because I think especially with teenage girls um or especially with the teenage teenagers I knew um and the group of people I was friends with there was a lot of that like yeah exactly and it was like you've done me wrong therefore I won't talk to you and Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff um ends up being really harmful to your future like romantic relationships it can really Mm -hmm. shape the way you interact with people so to see that as an example in young in in a book for young audiences was really Mm -hmm. nice because it also shows the same with romantic relationships as well you might have this wonderful bond and connection but no one is perfect so you've got to work through that and it is it is work and yeah, I just really appreciated seeing that in a, in a young adult book. In in the way it's done, it's so nuanced as well and mm-hmm. kind of tackles it, like you said, from the activist point of view, but also from a, just a general relationships point of view. was mm-hmm. really, really good. So as as you were just saying before, the intersection of a lot of different social issues is something that's explored in Watch Us Rise and, and in a lot of other other work that you've done as well and obviously your work is is very diverse it's um you know your lived experience and that of the people that you know there's a lot of discussion I guess in the publishing industry about publishers being the gatekeepers so I'm just curious to know have you ever had any pushback or hesitation from publishers when it comes to the subject matter of your work you know I've been very fortunate that I haven't
2: had a lot of pushback as far as um, what I want to write about, I do think sometimes because I'm writing about a culture that some of my editors have not experienced. You know, um, they there's just a lot of questions about, well, is this believable? You know, why would this happen this way? And and some of that is just this, you know, assumptions about the neighborhoods that I'm writing about and the types of characters that I write about. So I've had to have conversations around, you know, um, not wanting to perpetuate some of the stereotypes about young black girls or wanting to hopefully do something a little more nuanced with the girl, you know, if if I think about Piecing Me Together and Jade's character um, and the neighborhood that she grows up in, I think there's a way you could write about that neighborhood where you would feel a lot of pity for her, but I wanted to make sure we were celebrating the beauty of her neighborhood too. And so just making sure I can have those kinds of conversations with, my editors have has been important, and I'm very intentional about about that. So, no, I haven't had any pushback on what I want to write about, but sometimes the way I want to write about it comes up in, in editorial notes. And then I've had a lot of conversations about covers. Covers are very challenging for, I think, every author has some horror story about the <laughs> cover. But I, I've found that, you know, it's it's challenging to write about, not to write about, but to create art around a dark-skinned Black girl who lives in the Pacific Northwest, um, which is very, a different space that a lot of white books don't take place in. And a lot of my characters are big girls. So there's just all of that you can't find in clip art. You can't find <laughs> a deep, just images that exist. And so that's been challenging is to really make sure characters look the way they describe themselves and that it's okay to have a character literally take up space on the cover as a big girl and not just make her a tiny bit bigger than thin but like a really fat girl on a cover you know so those kinds of things are hair texture things like that have been more of the challenges for me writing about the types of girls I write about but the content, I haven't had much pushback.
0: And have the publishers been quite willing to work with you on those covers? Because I know sometimes it can be taken out of your hands. So have they listened when you've raised any issues?
2: Yes, I, again, just I love my team and we've been very open with each other about, you know, what we want and what we're what we're trying to go for. And so sometimes it, it, it's never been like, oh, they don't want to do it. It's just hard to find or, hard to find an illustrator who can deliver what we're asking for so it it Mm -hmm. isn't you know that they're unwilling it's just it's not the default so it's a little trickier to figure out how to do it but yeah I, I mean we've gone back and forth and they're very very um open to my feedback which I really appreciate because I know that that's not the case like you said sometimes that's you know they don't even ask and they just give you a cover and that's what you have to live with so very fortunate that even with my picture books I've had you know some say and input on the art which has been great how do you show bravery or courage and especially when you're talking about for me you know a, a girl character I do think that um I've had to have conversations around that too so not my characters and their blackness but the character's gender and is it okay like what does a strong girl look like on a cover mm. and does she have to be, do girls have to be smiling and looking so like you know gentle and and friendly and all these terms that we use to describe a certain type of girl like well what if the adjectives are different and it's bold and brave and strong and fierce what does that look like on a cover and is that okay to have a girl on a cover that isn't smiling and that isn't looking super friendly um So, yes, I've had to think about, you know, all of that, what they look like physically, like making sure they look the way they describe themselves, but also making sure they look like how their personalities are and that that they're showing some of the strength and resilience and not just some of the softer things that I think we like to associate with girl characters. Mm -hmm. So all of that is what, you know, we're having discussions about, which I know is hard because you're also trying to market and brand and, you know. It's the business side of publishing, too, that sometimes gets in the way of what the what my um, values are or what I'm focused So it's good to have those conversations with multiple people who all care about the book, want the book to succeed, and so we're all just <laughs> trying to think, what is the best image to convey what we're trying to say?
0: I think the cover of What Mama Left Me, the, the new cover of that, yes. is particularly striking. It's beautiful mm-hmm. illustration.
2: Yeah, Thank you. Much. I really love it, too. I feel like it... Truly captures um, Serenity's personality, her emotional state, and it's it's somber, but it's hopeful, and I I like that balance of you know she's contemplative and it, it you can tell that okay there's something serious happening here, but it, to me it doesn't feel um, like there's despair, like there's something about it that is also peaceful, and, and I feel like that that was really important for us to get right this time around.
0: I do just want to say you. too, you, mention a project that our friend grace has been involved in it's dove and getty images hmm. have been doing hmm. um uh, i can't remember what the hashtag is what they're exactly calling yeah, it. yeah. but basically they're creating a new set of um stock photos,
2: stock photos. Ah, yeah
0: nice. yes so our friend grace has Um, a shaved head and she had a brain tumor so she has scars on her head from her operations and you Mm -hmm. know the photos are really striking because she's there with her scars and she's been used I think on like two or three different cosmopolitan stories so Mm -hmm. far about you know like the best moisturizers for your skin or Mm -hmm. you know stuff like that so Um, I think projects like that are really cool as well because it's basically saying, like, we want to see more people like us, so people with scars or people who are different sizes, people with different skin colours, people Mm. who have different hairstyles, people with disabilities, like, it's really cool. Actually, there's another brand in Australia, too, called... Um, I think it's Motty Body, which does mm-hmm. like the period underwear and stuff. Oh, but the oh, reason yeah. their ads have caught my eye is because they also do leggings. And on one of their ads, there is a girl um, with a prosthetic leg running in the leggings. And I mm-hmm. see that every time. And I'm like, that is I don't so think cool. I've actually seen that one. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it keeps coming up on in my Instagram feed, probably because I follow so many feminist things. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, it's like hmm, you'll want period underwear. Um, mm. But. I keep seeing that, and every time I see it, I think that is so cool. I want to support your brand because you support diversity. Right, right. It's so important. So, yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. That's amazing.
1: You are a writer, a teacher, a performer. How do these various, you know, professional, I guess, your various professions, various roles influence your writing?
2: Hmm. I think the first thing that, that comes to mind is that most of my work has been with young people, and, and that ranges from, you know, the little ones that are picture book level all the way through early college. And so I've, I've been a teacher for many years, not a full-time like classroom teacher, but a guest poet in the schools teaching poetry workshops with young people, always centered around some type of social issue where the young people were reading the news and um, watching the news and then creating art in response to what they would see. Or celebrating the everyday heroes in their neighborhood and the local history. So, so much of what I did in my professional life before becoming a full-time writer was the work that ended up inspiring a lot of the stories that I tell now as an author. So, yeah, it goes very hand-in-hand for me. Um, The young people that I've worked with over the years have definitely inspired me. To write and, and also inspired me to be a better person, like just to really think about living what I teach and not just asking young people to raise their voice and do something, but for me to do that, too. So in my own personal life outside of the book, I've had to challenge myself to, you know, you can't just go out and do these visits with young people and try to get them all excited and pumped up to go change the world. What are you doing in your local community? And so I've had to think about that a lot and and make sure that I'm, you know, trying to live by example and
0: not just by what I say. I mean, I guess that's a good reminder. The kids you yeah. teach sound so awesome, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> They
2: are. I mean, you know, they're kids, so it definitely is challenging. And I don't do that work as much as I used to because my writing has me, you know, traveling more and I needed to be consistent in their lives. So I don't teach like I used to. But um, yeah, they are amazing. And even the ones who like would start off telling me that they hate writing and they didn't want to be in the class or just had a lot going on and for whatever reason could not emotionally handle being, you know, that vulnerable on the page. Still, there was some type of connection with all of my students that taught me how to be either a better teacher or, you know, to learn patience and to understand that it's not always about me you know like as, when you come into a, a situation you come into a class you have your lesson plan you're so pumped and excited you think it's amazing and then you start teaching it and you realize that half the class is checked out you can uh-huh. either go one way of being like oh what's wrong with the kids of today they just don't care about you know learning and all these things or you could ask yourself like I had to ask myself well what am I doing that's making them bored like why are they not mm-hmm. engaged and how can I bring something to the table that's going to make them sit up in their chair and really want to participate in my class? And so I've definitely had reluctant writers, reluctant readers, students who were very hard and challenging to work with. But I, I wanted to look at that. I was like, well, what can I do to bring them into the class instead of kind of push them further out? Most of the time, something else was happening that I had no idea about. Home life, you know, friendship mm-hmm. stuff that they were just carrying into the classroom. So I try to make um, a container for their emotions and say, okay, we'll bring that in and let's talk about it and let's make art around it. And I think that was why it was successful for me to be, you know, to teach with young people um, was because I respected their lives. Even though they're young lives, they are lives and they are Mm -hmm. their sadness is real, their anger is real and um, their joy is, is real. And so I wanted all of that and wasn't asking them to leave their personal lives outside the door.
1: Oh he said, I guess a wonderful, teacher. just a wonderful, I <laughs>
0: So I was, when I was researching my questions for this, I read an interview with you and Ellen where you talked about your sisters, where you said that your sisters taught you that joy can be a form of resistance and a source of strength. Can you expand on that a little bit more and kind of talk, talk us through your own philosophy when it comes to activism? Sure. I,
2: when I was talking about that, I was thinking about the ways in which sometimes when you when you feel oppressed, when you feel like there are systems in place that want to keep you um, down, and there are people who don't want you to succeed, um, and this can be in very small or very big ways. There's one way you could go about living is to, you know, be more depressed and angry and sad and kind of walk in that on a daily basis and wear it and kind of have ownership of that pain and That kind of, woe is me, life is not fair. Or I think you can take that and say, well, regardless of what you think about me, or regardless of how you keep trying to keep my people down, my neighborhood down, my gender down, whatever the thing is, um, I am going to choose joy. I'm going to choose to rise. I'm still going to laugh. I'm going to dance. I'm going to make music. I'm going to make art. I'm to celebrate things that you disregard and you call ugly, but I see beauty in it. And all of that is a way to resist. And just getting up in the morning and living your life and and finding um, joy in the small things, I think, is a way to say I'm still here, I'm still standing, and you can't, you know, destroy me. And so I think, especially when talking to young people, that it's important to think about, yeah, you know, you can't control the everything. You can't change everything. You really don't have a lot of power when you're a young person, especially. But what can you control? Your response to things. You can control what you create. And so that's one of the things that's so about creating art. And when I'm saying art, I mean, you know, music, dance, theater, visual art, writing, uh, etc. That you are in control of that thing. And I think there's something powerful about that. When you get to make something in response to something that's hurtful there's something that is really powerful about kind of like taking the power back taking the mic back and saying no 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 you keep trying to tell my story for me but I'm going to tell it in my own words Um, and so in that way that is a form of resistance it's not the only way to resist but I think it is a way to resist And so when I'm talking to people who feel powerless, I think that's a place to start. And of course, there's voting and there's marching and there's all these other things that we need to do too. But I I do think there's a good starting place is just to ask someone, well, what do you want to say? Like, What do you have to say? And also, because we talk so much about the struggle and the pain of our lives when you're marginalized, but I think it's important to also celebrate the legacy that you have behind you of all these people who who fought and fought for you (laughs) to be here Um, and now what are you going to do now that you are here how do you carry that forward so that's where that was um, coming from and that's kind of what I think about activism in general I think there's so many ways to be an activist and I try not to be I try not to be judgmental or uh, kind of didactic about it right because everyone is different. And so your personality will also dictate what you feel comfortable doing. Um, I just want you to do something. Like, I, you know, it's like, figure it out. If it's art, if it's marching, if it's making phone calls to your, you know, leaders who are in power, whatever you feel comfortable doing, do something and don't just sit in silence and watch things happen. Get involved in whatever way you can.
0: Oh, I just feel so inspired and empowered. And yeah it's kind of like I wish I'd had had you as a teacher Like (laughs) you sound so awesome as a teacher
1: it's just wonderful and you're such a good speaker like we've just been sitting here like listening like everything has been so well said and the main thing
0: um I think that you know I felt felt in your work too and I felt talking to you and and you've mentioned a couple of times is that compassion and grace for other people and I think that that yeah I think that's like in if all of us can be activists in our own way, but I think keeping those values top of mind um, will make for a nicer society in general. So it's just been wonderful to hear you talk
1: about that. Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at Pod, And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished
0: Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review.